Hey, yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. And once again, I am Martin, and I have with me the king of the casters. He's Mr. Brett Podcast. Brett, who we got with us today? Oh, boy, it's exciting, I tell you, because <laughs> he is a fantastic guitarist. He has been playing so many years with Praying Mantis. He is Tino Troy. Tino, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. It's good to be speaking with you guys. Oh, it's it's our it's our pleasure, our honor. Um, you know, you've got the new album co- that's out now, Catharsis, and I gotta say, it's awesome. Like, I really right. liked Gravity, but Catharsis is, uh, you know, Catharsis did wow, what a great job. So they're getting better, they're getting better and better as, well, as we mature. <laughs> I think it's that our musical maturity, <laughs> our age. It's, it's true, though. I mean, one of the things that I thought about the album is it is a very, it's a mature, confident, skillful album that I think a lot of bands want to reach that level, but very few do. That's right. Yeah, here we still are. I don't know. We'll be we're doing it for a few more years. We'll see. We'll see what my body tells me in a few years' time. <laughs> but so, so many, so many guys out there still rocking it, you know rocking the boards so i don't see why we shouldn't <laughs> well yeah you have that song long time coming which is basically saying you're going to rock forever exactly yeah <laughs> you got it <laughs> and there ain't, ain't no rock and roll in heaven either not yet <laughs> no <laughs> not well, for us anyway <laughs> i mean if anybody was going to bring it i mean it should be you guys but you know so so I mean, tell us, tell us then about the album and what went into making this album. Because I mean, it's a few years after Gravity. Um, you know, was this more difficult to make with everything that was going on, or was this just kind of a natural extension? Of course, yeah, it was very difficult with the with the whole sort of coronavirus thing going on. I mean, we had the songs in the making um, for about sort of eighteen months prior to to the release of the album maybe two years in fact you know and some were like leftovers from the the previous gravity album so um so yes we just like um started honing them and when we when coronavirus hit you know had a bit of a hiatus we didn't do anything at all because we thought it was just gonna pass by in sort of six months or so you know like three months six months and but it never did so you know, we saw all these other bands starting to record their albums, so we thought, well, we might as well just get on with it and um, do what we can. And, um, yeah, we're all very lucky that we can work work from home. We've all got our own studios, um, apart from John, our singer. He had to use his girlfriend's father's place. He's a, like an engineer as well. So, But, yeah, we got, we got there and we did it and um, communicated the whole thing via Zoom meetings and stuff like that. And... Um, it was it was it was hard, you know, because sometimes you, if a part's not right, especially with a singer, if, it, if it, you know you, you know you can get better from him, and you know once once he's sung it once or twice, he's given us a few different takes, and none of them were like you know spot on, so we had to like sort of cut and paste a few things, but um, but also it's just you know having that situation where you can put your arm around the fellow and go listen i know you can do better than that but we didn't have any of that you know you just had to like say over the phone he's going what's wrong with that vocal <laughs> <laughs> the bear we call him john john our singer great great vocalist but yeah it's, um but you know you, you get you get the best out of him when he's angry <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's because it, I mean, it's it's interesting. You talk about the writing of the songs like that, and 
And so when I'm interested when there is leftover tracks from Gravity, then how do you, like, how did you know that they weren't right for Gravity? How did you know that they were right for Catharsis? Well, the, to, to, you know, they, they, the, with the tempos and things like that, there were too many, too, too much like another song. For instance, Long Time Coming is very much the same as, um, uh, what was the, because that was going to be on, on Gravity as well, but, um, we did, um, there's the song Gravity itself. The song Gravity itself. If you, if you listen to the two of them, they're the same, same tempo and very much the same sort of like sort of harmony riff at the, at the beginning. So, um, so we thought, yeah, leave that one, shelve that one, and um, I'll work on that for a little bit longer. And then, yeah, so that's a, that's a good, the good thing about having the time as well. It's, it's, we've been able to go back to the drawing board and, you know, sort of polish, polish the songs. You know, it's, it's a good way. You know, we just like send them back and forth and say, well, how about that? How about this? How about this? And we have very, sort of quite a few different versions. And then we lose lose certain bits and add certain bits and that's how the song materializes really <laughs> and i mean of course you talked about john and the, and the vocals i mean it's amazing what you managed to, if you had to string things together then it's amazing what you managed to string together because he sounds incredible yeah yeah the whole, everyone you know everyone's played played well you know it's a, it's a thing even the guy i mean we'd normally record the drums in um in um art sound studios in belgium hans would just take his kit over there but because of the whole covid lockdown thing um uh, the engineer jean jean pierre kirkhoffs he he traveled to hans's place hans says his own studio with his kits and um although hans has got some really good mics um jp brought some extra mics as well and um he got the parts down and then we like um he went to hans for a few days and then because it's not that far, it's about just about an hour's drive from Hans from where he is in Holland to where Jean-Pierre is in Belgium. So um, they managed to to get all the parts down and there was little bits that we wanted them to to alter slightly. So we'd go back the next morning before he started on a new batch of tracks, another two or three tracks we'd repair, do some repairs on the one that he'd done the previous day, if you know, if you get my drift. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then how long... How long was this album finished, and how long have you been kind of like sitting on it and waiting for it to be released? Oh, we actually finished it in July last year. Um, yeah, July last year, and then we saw it, we gave it to Frontiers, and it's not going to be released till January. What? <laughs> <laughs> but February, you know, after we've been killing ourselves to get it finished, you know. Because, <laughs> I mean, we had to, we said ourselves, because, I mean, we, we kept on sort of going back and forth, and saying, is this good enough? Is this good enough? And then we're. And, you know, if you don't draw the line somewhere, if you don't say stop, you know, then you just carry on and disappear up your own back passage, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must be really hard to not just, uh, well, especially when you have that much time, it must be hard to like, like just to wait and just be like, oh, come on, let's just, let's just do three more songs. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, but that's a great thing about sort of writing as well. You can, you know, sort of like experiment with different things as well. You're having the time to do that. And when you're at home, you've got the time to experiment a bit more. If you sort of book a studio and you haven't done your pre-production, then it's um, it's all down to sort of nailing it on the day, really, each track, you know. So if the album's finished in July, when is it that you shoot the videos for, uh, you know, Cry for the Nations and Closer to Heaven? Yeah, they came out just before the... Um, 
just before the end of the year, didn't they? Um, in, in December. Um, yes, just like a sort of promotional thing, just to keep get everyone's flavour up, you know, get every little teasers, and um, you know, the great reaction and the albums. Um, got a great reaction since it's been released you know we've had review after review on it it's been absolutely amazing so we're we're gobsmacked you know it's great great news <laughs> well the album is i mean the album is terrific the, the videos are terrific too i mean do you guys uh you guys take a lot of creative control over the videos and things that are happening uh, Andy does he's he's the expert at that sort of stuff he's done a little bit of filming before and he's messed around with final cut and um you know, it's iMovie and things like that. So, and we had this um, studio in down in in Surrey somewhere, and uh, Powerhouse Studios, and they do they did those, they do some really budget videos. So we worked alongside one of the young producers there. We got cracking video for you know for really sort of cheap money, you know, really good money. And um, so because we only had like a, a budget, you know, given a budget from Frontiers, so we used it the best way we could, and we made. Um, two videos out of the same budget, which was great. That's the nice thing about, uh, I guess, today. You know, you can make videos that look great for just a little bit of money, whereas back in the day, I mean, I'm sure they were spending tons of money on the videos that you were doing. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. I mean, those things would cost megabucks, those things. <laughs> um, but um, for what we what we achieved nowadays, you know, with the whole green screen ideas and stuff like that, it just works really well. So we just wanted to do something a bit different from just like sort of sitting there in the rehearsal room or recording studio playing the track out, you know, and um, it's just a little bit different, <laughs> a little bit that of experimentation. Is that one of the bigger changes you've seen in the industry, kind of, the you know, things like that, from music videos. I mean, now we're, we're into streaming services more, you know, you've seen, I mean, over the years, you've seen a lot of changes. What's What do you think are the biggest and most important ones? Um, well, really, just you just got to flow with the times, really. Um, the most important ones, like you say, the recording studios, the whole sort of digital way of recording, you know, sort of cut and pasting stuff, you know, and like getting the song like out there quickly. Whereas, you know, days used to take many days, and especially with our our choruses, you know, we do like sort of multiple harmonies, you know, vo vocal harmonies. In the old days, you know, that Times Holds No Lies album, our first album, was, you know, we had to do everything organically, you know. <laughs> Every every take, every take would like would be do like three of us singing four times in each chorus, and they had to be spot on, you know. Um, nowadays, you can like cheat a little bit, which is great because I mean we use those tools to our advantage. It's not to say take away the fact that we've been there and done it, you know, organically. So we've got the experience and just using everything to our advantage now. Yeah, and the band's sound has evolved over the years, also kind of. How do you kind of uh, explain the evolution of the sound over the years? Um, well, it's down to down to many different members, actually. <laughs> especially in the singer department. We're like the our singers were like the exploding drummer in Spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we went through quite a few few singers but yeah it was because we weren't working that much and we we also had the um just the deal in japan at the time so we weren't doing anything in europe anywhere else in the world apart from japan so we had that deal with pony canyon and like we did like every, an album every couple of years with them and it was it was quite a sort of nice little relationship but um it did we weren't doing doing any tours so pit singers would come and go you know because they'd like get their bread and butter elsewhere um, nowadays, singers live and sing for about four different bands. <laughs> oh yeah, 
but yeah, you've got to go with uh, where the work is, especially these days with coronavirus out there now. You've got to try and capitalise on what you can, really. That's for sure. But, um, hey. Yeah, the you whole sort of... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, so that digital revolution sort of like changed, changed a lot for everyone. You know, we sort of, like I said, in those days, we we're getting mega big advances from Japan. So we thought, hey, let's get some digital recording equipment and do it ourselves. So that's what I did, built studio, and we did the, the next few albums like that. So we're pocketing all the advance. <laughs> <laughs> Still got to pay it back. We don't have that. Not I mean, it is. But we got... <laughs> I mean, it's super cool. I mean, Good you parties at the time. Right? <laughs> Got to have got to have mega parties with the advances we were getting. <laughs> <laughs> but we got the work done as well. We did we did good albums as well. <laughs> well, that's the you rock and roll lifestyle. Sure. Come on. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, you guys have. I mean, yeah, this was all done remotely, wasn't it? Everybody in different locations. I mean, that's got to be quite the adjustment. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we're we're already sort of like at a bit of a sort of like, like not loggerheads what I'm saying but you know um, with our guys two of our guys being over in Holland in the Netherlands and there's there's three of us over here in the UK but we're all we all live quite close to each other um, in a triangle we're sort of probably about sort of 20 miles apart um, in the UK here but I mean but when we were when we were able to travel to Europe quite, quite easily especially before coronavirus you know it was just like five doors from door to five hours from door to door the Hans's place, you know, out and um, in in the Netherlands, you get the you get the Eurotunnel, you get the car. We'd be down on the coast in an hour and a half, and half an hour in Eurotunnel, and about another three hours the other end, and and we were at Hans's, you know. So it was quite it's quite easy, especially if we're working in Europe. We just like sort of go over in the car. We just leave our guitars, some some guitars there, and we just like have to go over in the car and then meet up at Hans's, and then we're off and touring in Europe. It's quite handy. Hmm. That's excellent. But the work on the album, yeah, the doing it remotely was quite quite a challenge. But yeah, we got there. And like I said, the, the hardest part was not being able to sort of like shout at each other and say, that's all right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then you know, you say something next time, you say, well, that's all you're getting. That's it. <laughs> Can't do anything more about it. But, you know, it's, it's great because, I mean, it's, it's all come out. It's all come out in the wash, and it's um, cleanly ironed and everything, and it's it's just brilliant. Yeah, it was a nice way of working actually, because I mean, when we did see each other, eventually see each other, it was way party time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's celebrate. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you have such a great relationship with the other band members and i mean and of course you've been working with your brother for so long like i mean we've heard so many stories about like oasis and stuff like that and these and these brothers that have these these horrible relationships so tell us about your relationship with chris oh it's been great for years i mean well i built built chris's first bass guitar when i was when i was at school i built my 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 last year at school i built an electric guitar and then, like about three years on, I converted it to a bass guitar for him to learn when we formed the band when I was at college. And I spent—I was—I was at college studying furniture design, but I'd spend all my time in the MIT department. I had the, you know, like musical instrument technology, and I was like, ended up building guitars. I was like getting like lumps of maple, just like banging the, 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 the you know, craft technician. Uh, a few bob and he'd give me a slump of maple and I'd carve a guitar out of it in the machine shop and stuff like that. So it was great. 
so I spent a lot of time down there and um, we formed the band at um, college with another guitarist, a mate of mine, Pete Moore. And then um, then I got Chris Hudson in, who's like a drummer. And then my brother, we said, we're looking for a bass player. No one's playing bass at the time. So I told Chris, he's playing flamenco guitar at the time, not flamenco, classical, Spanish classical guitar. And we've got into a situation where the family had come around at Easter time and Christmas time and... Um, it's, my mum would go to them to play a little um, a little piece for them, so he'd play a little piece for them, and they're all like, please, please, and they were clapping and clapping and clapping. And, <laughs> and, um, and I go, nah, right, I've had enough of this. So I, yeah, I built my first guitar and then locked myself in my room for for hours and hours on end and um, learned to play electric guitar. And within three years, you know, I'd be, you know, I was really accomplished, actually. And, um, and a lot of people thought I'd been playing for about 12, 15 years, you know, because... And and from then, it just um, I said to Chris, "You fancy playing bass?" He said, "What's a bass?" And I showed him, and our first song we ever learned was um, "Caroline" by Status Quo. And I said, "It's just like all straight eights on the bass, you know, just did just those three chords, you know, eight on that one, blah 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 blah." And then the next note, and so we did this, and um, yeah, he took to it, and then he. With, with, within a couple of weeks, he wrote this um, little riff, a uh, bass riff that went dum 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 and um, we wrote a song called Night Child based around that bass riff. So yeah, it stuck with him, and and he grew and grew and grew. So I mean, yeah, yeah. From from that time on was yeah, we've been sort of the best of mates. Yeah, we have had our ups and downs like all brothers do, and um, big arguments you know when sometimes i want to club him over the head with my guitar and <laughs> trip him up on stage <laughs> which i have done <laughs> can you imagine so, though going back 48 years or whatever it is since you guys started the band you know and know, telling yourself yeah, well, you... it will be 50 years next year when we yeah. since we started um, working with the band before it was before it was playing Mantis, it was Junction for a little while. That's right. And that was in 1973. So, yeah, but we changed the name sort of halfway. Yeah. But we, uh, we we formed the band in, in 1973. So, yeah, next year will be our 50th anniversary, actually. Uh, well, <laughs> I know, yeah, because both Mott and I were born in 1973. So, <laughs> 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 like, yeah. Rocking us our whole lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why not? <laughs> It's like that's so, why we we knew that this was good because it's just like praying mantis and us. It's it's like same age. There you go. How could this not be great? <laughs> no, it's, it's been a, yeah, it's been a sort of like a a real sort of you know to not to say another the cliche a roller coaster ride. Really, it's been it's had its ups and downs. I mean, we could have. I reckon we could have been really big if we had the right management back in the day. You know, when we we signed our first deal with um, Arista records but we had a really bad management took it took over the took over the reins and just like um made mincemeat of it basically <laughs> well and how many times have we heard that you know the bad management it, it's it's either like bad management or it's a bad record deal i mean you know the music business is so difficult and and i think that's the amazing thing that you are still here but also i want to know how important is japan to praying mantis well i mean it was really because it, it gave us that second bite of the cherry in 1990 it was paul diano who first came to me phoned me up and um he said do you fancy going to japan and i said what to play and he goes yeah and I goes, yeah yeah great let's do it let's do it 
And he says, well, because I think he was, he was, um, there's, um, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a guy called, yeah, I'm sure you are, Masa Ito is the big oh, rock yeah. DJ in Japan. Oh, yeah. yeah. And of course, everyone knows him. And um, he was like the equivalent of the Tommy Vance we had here, over here, you know. So, and he said he wanted to put a super group together of like these two ex Iron, Iron Maiden members and the um, Praying Mantis members. So, um, originally he went out there to try and get his band Battle Zone out there, but he said, no, come over here with this, with this group. And um, so, yeah, we did, we did this, we did that live album. And they recorded the whole thing live on a mobile, and um, it was brilliant. And then the, the record company who released Live at Last, which was the name of the live album then, um, decided they wanted to do a studio album with us. And they started a, you know, a relationship that lasted for nigh on 15 years, actually. So it's uh, yeah, quite amazing times, really. Well, yeah, because I know that Japan has just been so vital to so many of, uh, you know, the hard rock and heavy metal acts that, that have come out. I mean, I mean, Harem Scarum, a band here in Canada that, that really, you know, probably didn't get very much play. They're, they're huge in Japan. So it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, to me. that's right. But it's, yeah, it's, I mean, but all the audiences are now they're, they're, they're screaming for it again because uh, you know with this coronavirus thing, they're very strict out there with the whole thing. Because I spoke to Massa the other day about sort of like doing doing a fifty year fifty year anniversary show, something similar to maybe the last time you know when we first went out there, and he said it's just so difficult to get you know like to, you know the promoters to commit to anything now because of the you know the the restrictions because of the coronavirus. Um, but he said he'll keep, keep me keep me posted. But it'd be yeah, it'd be great to go back over there and do something something similar, maybe for our fiftieth anniversary. Let's hope. Mm-hmm. Let's hope they lift some of those restrictions for next year. But these I things take a lot close. of planning as well. Yeah, I think we're getting closer. I think it. I think I I, I predict a big year for you and your fiftieth anniversary. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> as long as I don't drop dead by the drop dead by then, I'll be. No, alive. no, of course not. You rock, and then you would just rock heaven. That's yeah. all right. I, I feel it. I feel it in my bones now. The muscles and the the arthritis kicks in after a gig. I mean, the adrenaline is great, greatest drug in the world. It just like, you know, it just puts puts an end to every every pain you have in your body. In fact, we did one the other day because I've got this. Um, I've just I've, I've just got diagnosed with having long COVID because we actually got. I caught COVID when we did the UK tour over here. Mm. In fact, 12 of us did on tour the whole party, you know, so, and I felt all right, you know, because I'd, I'd been jabbed. So um, I felt, I felt okay. And it didn't affect me that much. All I had was just a little bit of a cold and, um, and a bit achy and, and that was that. But then the ache started, you know, continued and continued and continued. And I just like, now it's just like, I get so tired so quickly not so much out of breath unless I really push myself, but, um, you know, it's just like really achy. And, um, we did this gig giants of rock last weekend in 10 minutes. We were, I've been going to bed really early these days. I've been going to bed at 10 o'clock <laughs> <laughs> rock and roll. Eh? Um, and I've got our show that was on the Friday night. It was at 1130 and I said, I'm not going to make this. And I sat down in the, in the dressing room just before we get due to go on 10 minutes before we do, and I was slouched in this chair and I was just like aching everywhere and I go 
I don't know if I can do this to the rest of the guys. Like, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. And once, you know, once you hit that stage and the adrenaline kicks in, it's just like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. You know, it's just uh, it's weird. It's just the way the way it just inje- injects that to just like lift into you. It's brilliant. <laughs> are there ways that you kind of have to, I guess, I mean, obviously we're all getting older. So are there ways that you kind of have to manage your body better now than than before? Um. Yeah, eat healthily and exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 that, that's important. You know, I've got to keep moving. But, you know, I've got like a sort of hereditary arthritis as well. So it's just um, I've got it in my knees and my shoulders. But, I, you know, so my knees crumbled as well. But I used to do a lot of cycling and lots of sports and gymnastics and things like that. So it like, took, took a my body took a bit of a beating. Plus, I was like a carpenter as well in the meantime, you know, working as a carpenter on and off. So, um, yeah, so my body's taken some punishment, almost sliced my fingers off and all sorts of things. <laughs> in fact, I lost a tendon, lost the tendons in, um, in my left hand. So I had to reinvent the way I actually corded some of my, you know, used, used my fingers to play chords. Wow. <laughs> I know, yeah. I cut, cut myself with a bit of glass, a mirror putting a mirror in for someone but anyway that's another story it's not very rock and roll is it that's <laughs> really rock and roll isn't it i think i think it is i mean when you when you look at you look at tony iomi you know missing missing exactly, the nose exactly. of his fingers and it's just like <laughs> yeah that's it i mean like with the with my knees as well you know because i mean they're all like all crumbled so i had a couple of knee replacements as well i had the the other one done just last august and um when we did the tour, I actually managed on the last day to to jump off the drum rise. <laughs> it's actually a little a walk off the drum rise. It wasn't really a jump. <laughs> it wasn't you know, a start jump off the drum rise. But yeah, I still sort of get about on stage. But you know, I can't do those um, spinal tap poses. You know, the one where he like goes up, <laughs> arches his back and goes backwards, <laughs> and has to get lifted up by the roadie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I've seen some people, you know, get on a chair and just sit down the whole concert and just rock it anyways. Well, like Paul Diano did. <laughs> yeah. Paul did that for a while. You know, thankfully, he might be, you know, he's coming, he's had an operation now, so hopefully, you know, all goes well for him. And nobody he ever complained about B.B. King. Sorry? <laughs> nobody, nobody ever, ever no, exactly. Yeah. He was carrying a lot of weight old B.B., wasn't he? Oh, boy, yeah, exactly. yeah for sure. B.B. Double D as well. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, you got to keep yeah, you got to stay healthy, I suppose. But I mean, like yeah, it's um, that's important. But I don't, I'm a, I'm a very active person anyway. So I mean, I can never sit still for two minutes, and wherever I can, I just play the guitar standing up anyway. Yeah, I rarely sit down to do it. In fact, you know, if I sit down and scrunch over my guitar too much, it starts to hurt my upper body, my shoulders, and stuff. So yeah, I prefer to stand up. Do you have a bunch of guitars kind of sitting around the house just uh, just for that moment where it's just like, oh, I have something, I need to play this? Yeah, it's great because I built I built my studio, finally finished my studio. That's the other good thing about it, you know, being in the lockdown. I managed to finish my studio at the bottom of the garden. I've got a great great space now to work and um, and um, yeah, I've got the guitars are on display, whereas before they were all sort of locked away and some up in the loft, you know, some under the bed, <laughs> all in case. <laughs> All in cases and things like that. And could you be bothered to get one out? No, you can't. So, but now they're just ready, ready available on my own books and stands all over the studio. So it's great. 
I've still got some in cases, you know, the valuable ones and the, keep those precious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the Les Paul I've got. I mean, I can't even play that anymore. It's so heavy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Especially if you do like a gig in Japan with like two and a half hours, maybe, you know, over there on stage. So it's, it can be can be a bit telling. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I've never thought about like the at a certain point, the weight of an instrument being um, a real, like you know, something that you have to work. Yeah, with. that's a great thing. Les Paul's especially. I mean, well, the ones that got built in the um, late 70s, early 80s. Um, well, all through the 80s, actually, they were heavy beasts. Um, more recently, they started using different timber. And um, so they're, you know, they're a bit more user friendly and they started hollowing out the backs of them, you know, the inside the actual inside the body. So um, before they put the first the top sandwich on the Les Paul, they'd hollow out part of the body. So it didn't have as much weight and it had better balance as well. But it's um, it was a bit too gay for me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> didn't hear anything. <laughs> so then, well, how many guitars do you own, and what are your favorites to play? Um, I've probably got, I think, at the last count, I mean, not loads and loads, but I've got about 28 guitars, 28 guitars. Um, Les Paul's great, you know, it's great to play, but you've got to really dig into her. She's a real sort of like, BCS. <laughs> You've got to really sort of hit it hard and play it hard, you know. And I've got actually the heavier strings on that as well. So I said, You're going to give me the weight. I'm going to put heavy strings on you and you're going to suffer for it. And my fingers end up suffering. But, um, but you know, when, you, when you're on stage doing it, it's, you know, you don't feel these things until the next day. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I've got grooves in my fingers. Um, Les, Les Paul's great. I built a couple. Um, I've got an Explorer as well. That's in the case, but I haven't used that yet. Um, I've re just refurbished that. That's been in bits since 1984. And I've just like re, re, um, refurbished it and restrung it again. And it's brilliant. There's no, there's been no moving it at all. So that's great. Um, I've got, uh, I just bought myself a seven string. Oh, really? <laughs> nice. Man, I know. So I've been listening to a lot, a lot to Petrucci recently. A lot of his stuff, you know, some of his solo stuff, and he's great. And he comes. If, it, if there's one person I love to meet in rock and roll, it's him. He comes across as a really nice fellow, you know. Really, he's a really sort of genuine, humble as well. He doesn't think he's a great player or anything like that. He's very, he's, you know, he's magical, you know. So, so. Um, and the seven string, yeah, confused me at first, but you know, within a couple of hours, I sort of got the group, got to grips with it, and it's it's just nice to have that left different um, different uh, flavour, you know, as it were, the different textures to to your tone, basically. Um, what other guitars have I got? Oh, loads and loads. I've got Strat, I've got Telecasters, um, I've got SGs. Uh, I just pick each one up. And I've, got, I've got Spanish guitar as well, Yamaha Spanish guitars, as well as Takamini Acoustics. And um, it, it's just nice to have them all there available to pick up and play whenever you you want to. Just uh, just remove the jack lead and plug another guitar in. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Try this one for this. And that was a great thing when we re when I was recording this year. You know, it was, it was great to have that instead of using the same guitar all the time. You know, I did experiment with different different sounds from different guitars. And um, 
It all sounds the same. <laughs> you record them at the end of the day in the song. It sounds like the same as any guitar would. I think it's down to the it's down to it's down to the way you play it a lot as well. I mean, it's like if I hear Steve Lukather playing uh, Les Paul, you can you can still still tell it's Steve Lukather, you know. It's, uh, Yo, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> no, it's amazing how some guitarists just you know there's just there's just absolutely that sound and and especially I know as a fan of so many people i can i can tell in so many cases but you know and sometimes it's just something so small but you just hear it and it's just like oh yeah that's who this is yeah that's it you, you can tell tell straight away by the style of playing and um so yeah the way the way things are fretted the way this notes are bent you know it's, it's just like such a such a you know sort of giveaway for for especially if you're a guitar player you, you know straight away who, who's playing that that solo no, not so much with chords as well, mm, you know, yeah. chords, but um, with with the with the solo and stuff, then you, you'll know who the guitarist is straight away, or I can I can tell. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're gonna put me to the test now, aren't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> I was tuned. Who's that guitarist? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just uh... oh, that sounds like a fun show. We'll do that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like working with Andy then? you know, on the, on the guitars. I mean, I know you've, you've long had that, that twin guitar sound, which I absolutely adore, but you know, what's it like working on that and kind of how do you write for that? Oh, it's, it's, it's great. We uh, normally, um, we do our own stuff, the harmonies and, you know, we will, cause I mean, especially in lock, especially with this lockdown thing, we, we you know, we did, um, I did the, my, my own, and melody and harmony and he did the same thing and then we um he learned the parts as well so we, we fattened some of the guitars up so you know we both played the part so this is you know just that not not so close together you know so it's a little bit loose so you get that you know you get that breadth out the the widths from the two guitars and it's great yeah i mean i've, I've just loved the twin guitar ever since i heard Wishbone Ash and Lizzie doing it. I mean, we're they're very much big influencers back in the day, you know. Thin Lizzie, first it was status quo because I mean I could learn to play guitar, and um, a mate of mine introduced me to Piledriver, and I got all those songs off to a tea. And and then both Pete and me from college, when we formed the band, we just like bought every status quo album there was, and we just learned all that. And then Lizzie came along and Wishbone Ash, and then. We had the vocal harmonies as well, and that's where we got our main influence actually. And in, in praying mantis was uh, developing the twin guitars as well as the the vocal harmonies that Wishbone Nash did so well. And um, yeah, just it stuck with us to this day, and I love it. You know, I just have the tonality of it. I mean, many a time we do like I do in some of the previous albums, I do sort of like three part harmonies as well, and then fatten them up with octaves as well. So. You could you know, sort of layer the guitars up. We don't do so much of that layering anymore. But just um, sometimes they say too much can be too much. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, um, yeah, so we've just been a bit more frugal with the parts, but um, sort of more tasteful, as it were, as well. Well, I mean, it's funny here. Here we are in North America, you know, uh, in Canada, me and Brett. And uh, I don't think that most people in North America understand the influence that Thin Lizzy had, you oh, know, boy, uh, yeah. especially over there in Europe. Everyone, especially from my from my era, everyone from my age, you know, they just I just love Lizzy, and um, 
uh, everyone will you know, have a favourite Lizzie song and everyone will play a Lizzie song. And, you know, if if you have to have, have a song played on the radio, there will always be a Lizzie song in there, definitely. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, so much influence they did have and they're great as well. No, radio rock and roll as well, the whole thing, you know. Oh, just such a talented band. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, incredible poet as well, Phil, you know. What a waste. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you've been with uh, Frontiers for about a decade now, I think. Uh, so what have they? Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <Time to step out. laughs> well, I was wondering what they've meant for your career. What uh, you know, their partnership with them. It's. I mean, it's good because I mean they took over from the whole thing. In fact, they sort of licensed the stuff for Europe when we we had the Japanese deal. So it like sort of actually transitioned into into us. Um, carrying on with them actually we didn't have to sort of sign a new deal or anything like that it's just we just carried on and um we got options on each album they there was what the options and it's, it's always by mutual consent basically so um we'll see how far it takes us but we're still great we're very happy with them you know they do all they do all they they can to, to promote the album and um now with social media and everything it's 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 down to us to do it a lot more really down and we're a bit lazy in that in that respect we can we should be doing a lot more i mean i see my daughter she's she's playing with this punk band called users now um i bought her a you know guitar and she she learned to play it as well now she's better than me (laughs) (laughs) what you didn't make her a guitar (laughs) i didn't make her a guitar no you go out and buy it (laughs) no no like a Gone. more recently i started you know dabbling with um put, putting guitars together again and taking them apart and experimenting with them pick up different pickups and things like that but um it's because you know i have a little bit more time on my hands now and with the lockdown that crew that's when i've got a few more of those old guitars that were in cases all in bits together again but yeah but she does it, you know, because I was going to say, yeah, going back to that, she does it on Spotify, you know. Oh, yeah. She earns, earns a living out of Spotify. They're getting, like, millions and millions of hits with this band called The Users, a punk band that she's playing with. <laughs> more so than we get more hits than us. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, I, I was, I mean, uh, you know, doing the prep for the interview, I looked on Spotify and it said, you guys are averaging 82,000 hits a month or something like that. And that sounds yeah, like a ton to right. us. That sounds to me like, oh, you must be doing really well. But I guess, you yeah, know, well, Spotify pays was, so bad. <laughs> if that was in the NPR sort of like um, listens, you know, radio listens and stuff like that, you'd be earning a lot of money, you know. And um, but, you know, this, you know, you've got to, I, think, I can't remember the actual equation, but I think you've got to do sort of have like sort of three million hits before you earn like what you've done in a single for the first month or something like that you know? wow i know it's crazy i mean hopefully they'll sort of rectify all this and but it's just that's, that that is the that's the that's where digital technology has like fallen down because it's um you know it's 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 so easy for people to download stuff now and um it's you know and copy stuff it's it's in pirates stuff like this it's 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 not good for the artist but um you know, where you where you actually gain in some respects from the having the media there and being able to put yourself out there. You know, it's all taken away from the actual money you earn. I mean, the most money we earn now is from merchandise sales. You know, on on tour and stuff like that. Well, yeah, you know, selling saw... our own albums and our own t-shirts. You know, doing our own merch and 
So every time we get to the gig, I mean, every band's doing it now. You know, they just go out there and hold the merch, you know, at the end of the show, you know. <laughs> well, I saw how your singer John said, you know, during because of COVID, he had to get a regular job. You know, and, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, well, we're, yeah. yeah, everyone's. I mean, everyone's in the same boat here as well. We're all then doing doing little bits of work. I mean, I was quite luck, lucky because I mean, I, I was in the building trade in the construction and. Um, and you know, I said this is a, probably the worst industry. I've had my hands crushed loads of times, but as you say, Tony, totally you only managed to get through. But yeah, we've never sort of earned enough out of the music to to be able to to raise a family and stuff like that, you know. So it's it's it's, it's been hard work, and it's only now that we actually start to see some rewards. To tell the truth, um, only because we've we've been working on on it a lot harder um now that we've got a little bit more free time on our hands and i haven't got to work anymore then it, it's great to be able to be writing songs all the time mm -hmm. well, i'm glad your daughter i'm glad your daughter's making a living doing music and doing that yeah yeah it's that great. makes me feel better you know yeah it does and um as long as she's rich enough to buy me the house that i could never afford <laughs> <laughs> I've got a studio and she loves the studio. She wants to come down here there all the time, you know, with her band. And I said, right, I'm going to have to start charging you now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing I was thinking about doing is uh, doing guitar lessons and, you know, start doing, you know, just doing some production projects for other bands and stuff. That's something I like to do as well as do a solo album as well. So, yeah, it's all in the pipeline. But, um, Every day, every day, a little at a time. Well, <laughs> time. Let's get this album out and tour this one and see what what happens. But um, yeah, really looking forward to the next few months and hopefully COVID, we can say goodbye to COVID and start working a bit more. Mm, boy, that would be so nice. But yeah, because I see that you've got some dates coming up in May, so that should be that should be great. Yeah, that's that's sort of Spanish dates, aren't they? I think we've mm -hmm. got some dates there. And then we got we got Sweden rock as well. That's been put off for the last two years. Um, and we got Bang, Bang Your Head Festival as well. I think that's still happening. Um, yeah, quite a few festivals. And then we got something in Czech Republic at the end of the year. And we're sort of working on a little tour as well of the UK again. And some, in, some dates in Europe as well. Some other German dates we've got. Um, and also a Polish one we're looking at. So, yeah, it's just little, little by little. So then, you know, how many dates would, uh, you know, before the pandemic, like how many dates were you kind of playing in a year anyway? Um, before the pandemic here, yeah. it was going really well. In fact, you know, more more than we'd ever done in our lives. We were doing, uh, but you'd probably sort of like a couple of gigs a month, something like that. But, you know, sort of quite good gigs. Um, and, you know, we'd have those and a lot of them weekends, you know, festivals and things like that. Um, but since then, you know, nothing is all dried up, really. And, you know, the promoters are running scared as well. They're not paying the bucks either because uh, not sure if they're going to put bums on seats, you know. <laughs> mm, yeah, for sure. So, um, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult situation all around. And this is why I can't, can't stand, you know, because, I mean, like, the arts really suffered, you know, in, in the UK. I mean, you, you, could, you could have all the much as I like soccer, you know, football. Um you know, when they had the European Championships on, you can have like 80,000 people in the stadium all hugging and kissing each other when a goal scored. And, you know, you can't can't get 50 people in a living, you know, in a, in a local club, you know, in the music scene. 
you know, because you've got to stand so far apart. You know, it's crazy. So, yeah, the art suffer, you know, it's, it's all the big money, money earners, you know, the football being the big money earner that, that's, uh, you know, it just like takes away from the people, you know, playing concerts and things like that, all the artists out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it is a tragedy because, I mean, we've seen, I mean, just, and, and the number of people, it doesn't, because it doesn't just hurt the bands, it hurts the clubs, it hurts the people that the clubs pay, it hurts all the people that the band it, take out with yeah, them. And, and someone put something on Facebook yesterday, one of the, one of our guys, a bookers, Martin Jarvis, he's, um, he's put something up about, about people complaining that you don't come to their town and stuff like that. And it's, it's very hard to get into, you know, if you, you if you're constructing a tour or something like that, you know, coordinating all those dates and having those dates available so you don't have to go up and down the country, you know, you want to just traverse it and sort of zigzag your way up, but it's not always ideal. And then you're going to have to miss out certain towns and stuff like that. And um, people won't travel the extra mile, you know, sort of go, you know, go with your mates, like, like three or four of you jump in a car, go for the weekend, you know, go and see a band and check into a, airbnb for the night and um go and see your favorite band of the next town you might like it you know <laughs> well i'll tell you i won't do that anymore you know and they won't because i you know sort of play depth in play for a few pub bands and stuff like that and um and you know getting people to sort of get their bums off seats from the you know, television and come and watch a live music is a very difficult thing especially in ours in our age group <laughs> 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 but it's great so having talked about age you know i mean we've we've got we're getting quite a few young fans at all, a lot of our shows now which is great and then we said hang on you, you guys are too young to be watching stuff like that so <laughs> how do you have you heard from the band oh it's, it's like it's all over the shop and um on spotify and all, all on social media and so so it's, we must be doing something right and um it's not even the some some are connected to their fathers who are like um fans of the band as well but there are others who are, who are not. So it's great we're getting like, um, you know, teenagers or 20 something year olds, you know, coming to the shows, which is great. And they, so they will love our music, which is brilliant. That shows how good music is just, uh, it's timeless, it's ageless, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. And once you've established yourself, you've got a good, good sound. And, um, and you know, we, we go the extra mile to make the songs shine, you know, and um, we'd like to think we're doing the right, the right job. And we, we do, I mean, we don't want to go out with anything half-hearted. I always remember that in the back in the days of old when, you know, bands used to, back in the 70s when, and the 80s when someone used to re- release another album, their second album, it wasn't as good as the first because I didn't have the time to work on it mm-hmm. because they were like, as soon as they'd come out from to the studio and done all the promo, all the promotion on it, and then they go out on tour, the tour, and so they're writing on the road and that's the only way they could could actually do it. And of course, the songs genuinely suffer suffer no some not you know you can get the odd fluke that'll be in there and that's when you you had an album oh the second album's great and there's, there's three songs on it are great but not the whole album you know we'd like to sort of get out there and put the whole album out so it's um every song is the knockout one you know it might not be to everyone's taste but um and they're all different. There's like a Mantis album these days is like a box of assorted chocolates you know you get <laughs> that the hard 
you get the hard ones that break your teeth and then you get <laughs> the the soft centers as well so it's a, it's a, it's a bit, little bit mixture of everything as opposed to like um just like an ornery just chucky bar <laughs> <laughs> well i know with with catharsis i mean there is so much of that and and especially like i just think of the the devil never changes the way that the album ends and like the riff gets stuck in my head for hours afterwards on that but then just the the guitar out is just so killer you know i just yeah i, thought, I bet i bet i lose the old neil sean bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. go go for a nutty one at the end <laughs> yeah no i mean yeah another another favorite another influence um, journey great <laughs> So the, album, um, the track order is just awesome the way it does play off each other, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, they, they, they definitely did that. That's the great thing we did it when we when we had all the tracks in place. I actually um, got them there in in the on the uh, on my door on my way, you know, on the digital audio workstation for people who don't understand. Or I'm sure you all do. <laughs> um, and um, just put them and just like shuffle them, put them into a timeline, and then shuffle them about and see which ones work best with each other. And that's a, you know, the, 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 they seem to think that we did a good job. Obviously, that's broken up a little bit when it, when it gets released on vinyl, because we had to put one of the t- tracks on the other side. And it's just, it didn't work out quite, work, you know, the right way. But it's good. No, thank you for saying that as well. But thank you for noticing. <laughs> well, and that vinyl is a beautiful looking vinyl. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, I wanted it. I wanted Frontiers to put it on a picture disc with it, that whole, whole flaming head oh. on the disc would have been amazing. But um, yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't go the extra mile. <laughs> <laughs> Cheapskates, Frontiers, are you listening to this? <laughs> All the good Maybe stuff you said about it, forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe someone will bring one out for yeah. us. <laughs> you never know. You must have gotten some gifts from fans over the years that are. Like that yeah. kind of they've made things for you that are just incredible. I know it's amazing. You look at the stuff you get, the presents you get made. You know, I know one of our Japanese fans made me this really ornate wallet. You know, um, the whole thing was carved and embossed in leather um, of the Time Tells No Lies album. If you open that out, the whole wallet. You know, it was a whole whole Rodney Matthews um, artwork of the whole cover. Oh wow! And, um, and I lost it on an aircraft to going to. Oh. to do <laughs> I know, and all the money that was at five hundred euros in it as well, <laughs> oh. and my cards and everything. Oh, and no one handed it in. I tried to try to get it back, you know, put it put it through all the right channels, but no one handed it in. The bastards. Mm. <laughs> um, but you know that was special. That that got, that one that was made in when we first went to Japan by one of our fans in nineteen ninety two. Um, we have, yeah, some special fans in Japan. In fact, um, that last song, "The Devil Never Changes," um, was written for. I wrote the the lyrics on that for Ko, was one of our favourite fans out there. He used to come to Europe to watch us. He used to come all over the world to to you know, catch us at a show, surprise us. You know, it's just like that. And never asked to get on the guest list or anything. You know, he'd buy the tickets and he'd just like turn up. And he was just our number one fan, so we like um, we always made it special for him. And um, unfortunately, last last year, twenty one in June, in um, May twenty one, he passed away. He died of throat cancer, and that's why his photograph is on on the album with us. I don't know if you've seen the album, the the photograph on the on the back cover, or on the on the inside sleeve of the, the inside of the booklet of the CD. It's a picture of us in this bar. 
um, the Gravity Bar, in fact, it was called, this bar in Japan. <laughs> and um, Ko's there with us, and we're all doing... You can see our faces, we're all pissed out of our heads. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the last photograph we had with him, and, um, yeah, so sad. So wrote that song especially for him, and it's actually put in brackets, it's actually got Ode to Ko on it, so... Oh. Well, it is an amazing song, and it is an amazing way to end an awesome album. And uh, and Tino, it has been fantastic to talk to you. I've enjoyed every minute of it. But we want to give you the chance to tell everybody where they can find the new album and how they can keep up with Praying Mantis. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Is it Brett? It's Brett, yeah. Brett. Brett Monroe. <laughs> That's right. That's me. All right, Brett and... Um... Who else have been who's been listening to me as well <laughs> and laughing? Martin, it's the Danish Martin. name, so yeah, Martin. It's Brad. Yes. Dudes, it's been great. Dudes, been that, great. that works great too. To yeah. And um, and um, I guess this is going out to all our Canadian fans out there. Yeah, it's going out to everybody. Brilliant. <laughs> all right, guys. Really lovely speaking to you. Well, it Let's was do this again sometime. Oh, uh, you bet. We would love to. Um, you know, and and I urge everybody to go out and listen to Catharsis because I think it is an awesome album, and I'm going to listen to it again today. So uh, you know, it's just. Do you know what? I haven't listened to it since um we since I've finished recording it. Not not the whole album in back to back. Of um, I should do that now myself as well. <laughs> Why not? I like it. Okay, <laughs> you might find just you might find just you like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, you take it easy. Thanks. Take care and um, you too. And um, yeah, don't get COVID. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try not. Cheers, to. guys. All the best, Tino. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye now. Bye-bye.